The other day, my family was trying to remember all the different games where you win by having the lowest score. I'm not sure how that discussion came up, but uh, uh, the list we came up with was, was pretty short. There, there's obviously golf. If you have the lowest score in golf, you, you win. There's the, the card game of hearts. There's the domino game, chicken foot, or one of its various varieties. And there's some games of darts where you get the lowest score, you win. And then there's the card game, Uno. Now, there may be others that are on that list, but, but no worry. If the winner has the lowest score, you can guarantee my score will be the highest. I always get it wrong. Or put another way, if my golf average was my bowling average, I'd be on the Pro Bowlers Tour. Or if my bowling average was my golf average, I'd be on the PGA. I always get it wrong. But I figured out what the problem is. I'm always playing the wrong game. That's what it is. I'm just playing the wrong one. The victory that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians is something we need to understand. So many people in our world today are playing the wrong game. They're trying to win by getting enough money. They're trying to win by being popular. They're trying to win by being powerful. <laughs> That's the wrong game. Over the past few weeks, we've celebrated Easter. It's not just another day on the calendar. It's not just one day on the calendar. It's a lifetime of celebration that our Savior lives. And in the final verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul compares two things. The defeat that we experience in this world because of our sin with the victory that Christ has won over death. In this final analysis, it's absolutely clear there's really no comparison. Reading here from verse 54 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory in Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't pull any punches here. It tells us the way it is. Death stings. That's putting it mildly. The picture that Paul paints with this portrait in this passage, it's much more final than our English words convey. Paul compares opposite ends of the spectrum. The finality of death brought about through our sin, Paul calls that the perishable. He compares that with the eternal life found in Christ, what Paul calls the imperishable. His final statement begins with a quote from the prophet Isaiah. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And he follows that statement with another quote, this time from Hosea. And then an explanation in verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
There's no denying, no playing down the strength of what we're up against. It doesn't take much to make the argument in our world that death seems to be winning. Nothing escapes that fact of life, that everything in this world is passing away. From an unmarked grave to an Egyptian pyramid, they both share one common truth. There's dead people in them. Neither the pauper nor the Pharaoh escapes this reality. Eventually, death wins. And it gets worse. Paul describes the sting of death as sin. In other words, the reason death exists in our world, the reason that death wins in our world, is that we have all sinned. We brought this on ourselves. And there's no escape. Sin holds its power over us. A truth the law proves. We're all guilty. We've all fallen short. This is not just a lopsided win. Our team didn't even show up. It's game over before we ever stepped on the field. I used to work at a softball field. I usually worked in the concession stand, but for a couple of weeks, the guy that kept score... Uh, was out of town, so they asked me to step in and uh, help out for him, and so I kept score for some of the games. I'm telling you, if you want to see some grown men act like children, just put a bat and a ball and a glove in their hands. Those guys would argue about everything, every call, every out, every run. They would argue to no end. But there were some games where there was no argument. In this particular league, you had to have 10 people on your team or you forfeited the game. It's pretty easy to count noses. You can't make eight guys into 10. So if some team showed up with less than they needed, when the time came, the ump called the game and went to the car. They could go ahead and play if they wanted to, but the victory was already scored. The game was already over. Some people make the mistake of thinking that sin is a little bit like a softball game. We can just score enough runs, then maybe we can win. If we can just do enough good deeds, then, then we can make it all right. If, if I can just be a good enough person, I can, I can make it across the threshold of heaven. But what we don't understand is the game's already over. We forfeit when we make the choice to disobey God, it's game over. And death proves that. No matter what we do, we can't defeat death. The prince and the beggar both walk the same road to the graveyard. But thanks be to God, this passage does not end in verse 56. Because God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Roman society was a civilization of celebration. They loved to celebrate. At least the rich and powerful did. Most Roman citizens would have been familiar with the victory parades that would follow a victory on the battlefield. Most Romans would be familiar with the monuments that had been built to celebrate those victories and try to 
a desperate attempt at, at making those victories last. Now, Paul draws on that familiar sight in, in the world of the New Testament to describe the greatest victory of all as he continues in verse 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus won the victory that we could not win for ourselves. His death on the cross paid the price for our sin. I like what the fellow said in the video a moment ago, that his work on the cross made the unforgivable forgiven. That's what Jesus did for us. Paul draws on this extraordinary truth, reminding us that Jesus' resurrection proves his victory. Now, with that foundational truth in mind, Paul calls for believers to stand firm in verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We may sometimes, as believers, wonder why we do what we do. Now, in life... That's not a bad thing. A healthy dose of skepticism can keep you from doing some things you shouldn't do. But sometimes as believers, we get discouraged. Things don't work out the way we thought they were going to. We share the gospel with our friend, and they don't turn to the Lord. We invite a neighbor to church, and they don't come. We take a stand for our faith at work or at school, and, and we just get laughed at. It doesn't seem to change anything. And the temptation is to, to ask, well, why are we even doing this? It's not even doing anything. It's not worth it. And the temptation is just to walk away. But the Bible tells us differently. Scripture says, stand firm. Don't let anything move you. What you do in the Lord is never in vain. Why? I mean, sometimes when, when we read that verse, we may think, well, well, Lord, do you not see what's going on? I mean, I mean I've, I've tried to live for you and I keep messing up. I've tried to share my faith and it doesn't seem like anybody is receiving the Lord. I, I, I've, I've tried to, to help others and they just throw it back in my face. I've tried to take a stand for you and they just laugh at me. Don't you see what's going on, Lord? What do you mean, stand firm? My labor is never in vain when it's in Jesus. And God says, just look at the empty tent. It's empty. He's not there. He is risen. And because of the resurrection, nothing we do in Jesus' name is meaningless. We have a purpose that will not change. We can apply ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that what we do in Jesus' name matters. Not just today, it matters for all eternity. We've been involved in our Annie Armstrong offering. For North American missions, we do that every year here at National Heights. Some folks may wonder, well, why do we keep doing that? Why do we keep taking that, that offering? 
Because nothing we do in the name of Jesus Christ is in vain. And as we send those dollars to our missionaries across North America, they are able to share the good news of Christ in in inner cities and on Indian reservations and on military campuses and on college campuses and all around North America. They're able to tell people about Christ. And that's not in vain because our Savior lives. We continue to work to to remodel our facility, to try to do some things to to help people, to to be welcome here, to to help reach our children and our youth in a more effective manner. And we may think, well, why would we do that? Because our world needs to know Jesus. Our children need to know there's a God who loves them. Our youth need to know that there's a better way than what everybody's telling them through TV and through movies and and in the schoolyards that, that God has a better way for them. Our parents in our community need to be encouraged in the Lord and nothing we do in the name of Jesus Christ is in vain. Why do we keep sharing the gospel. We have a class going on right now on Wednesday nights. 6.30, right down in 5.32. We'd love to have you. Why do we have a class in evangelism? Why do we encourage people to share their faith, even in a world that seems to be turned against Christ? Why would we do that? Because nothing you do in the name of Jesus Christ is in vain. What you do in the name of Christ won't just matter today. It won't just matter this week. One day, a thousand, thousand years from now, you'll be rejoicing with someone that you led to the Lord. You'll be praising God with a family that you welcomed into His kingdom. As you stood firm and shared the good news. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Heavenly Father, help us to recognize this truth. It's hard to see sometimes. Through our human eyes, uh, sometimes all we can see is the mess this world is in. And the temptation would be to just walk away. But God, don't let us do that. Help us to stand firm. To share the good news. To show others your love in tangible ways. To point them to Jesus. God, remind us that we have victory in Christ. And God, help us share that victory with a world that desperately needs it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.